In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Well, today's gospel reading is fairly straightforward. Jesus is teaching, and while he's teaching, he's confronted with a question about money. Hey, my brother isn't giving me the inheritance I'm due, right? So he's interrupted, in a sense, with this question about money. And then he begins to tell a story about what not to do with money. Don't be greedy. That's how he sets up the story. And the parable goes, there's a a rich man. This is called the parable of the rich fool often. The rich fool gets more crop than he anticipated, and he has to figure out, what do I do with this wealth? What do I do with it? It's an important question that we're going to come back to in a minute. What do I do with it? So he chooses to store it up. Presumably, he stores it up for himself, only to be interrupted by God, who says, you fool, you're going to die tonight, and you've wasted it all, right? And then Jesus, at the end of the passage, summarizes all of this by saying, don't be like this guy. Be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. What you need to know is this phrase, be rich toward God, has caused Bible interpreters a lot of angst. They've wrung their hands trying to figure out what does it mean to be rich toward someone, right? And particularly, it's the, uh, the, the Greek word uh, translated to or toward in reference to God. Like, you kind of get what Jesus is talking about. There's some vague sense of, right, like be wealthy in God's eyes or, um, you know, do, do something with your wealth that honors God. But what, a, what an interesting way to spin that phrase, be, be rich toward God. What does this mean? This is what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to be rich toward God? So, the the gospel seems straightforward, and I suppose I could just say, okay, everyone, don't be greedy, be rich toward God, amen, right? But then I begin to think about, uh, as I ponder the text, some questions that come to mind in reading the story and about money in general in the Scriptures. For example, I think, man, why is it in Luke's gospel that Jesus, well, and and Luke seem to have it out for wealthy people, Right? Over and over again in Luke's gospel, I mean, beginning from chapter 1, Mary's song, God is going to bring down the powerful and the wealthy and lift up the lowly. Jesus' sermon in the synagogue, he's come to uh, uh, bless the poor, set free the captive, and so on. Something about what Jesus is up to in Luke's gospel has everything to do with turning the wealthy and powerful upside down. What's that about? (laughs) Then I think, um, and I mean, in this story, like, what did this man do that was wrong? Are we not supposed to save our money? Were we not taught this as little kids, right? You put the money in the piggy bank. Lucy was sleeping with her piggy bank the other night. I don't know what this means for me and my family, but... Then I begin to think about the recent headlines around inflation, and I think to myself, now is not the time to talk about money at church. Or I'm a priest, and I'm, here I am talking to my church about money, and I feel um, some guilt and embarrassment because I know that you know all through history the church has misused money, right? That's embarrassing. At least it is for me. Then I sort of flip the tables, and I wonder kind of with some doubt and maybe even cynicism, 
Like, Lord, what good does it really do to tell your people not to be greedy and to be rich toward you? Like, is that going to change anything? Because we are, friends, a community of hundreds of people uh, on, on a weekend we gather. And, and just because um, we have to uh, handle the responsibility of the fiduciary responsibility of overseeing this, me and the rest of the clergy team, along with the dean and the chapter, I know that there's at least a, a large percentage of us that don't give anything to the church. So I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of cynical. That's a stark reality. And then, just to let you know that uh, things get really close to home when you have to preach a text about money. I'm aware of the tension that I feel um, in Jesus' challenge. Be rich toward God because along with the rest of the leadership at the cathedral, we, we want to honor God and grapple with um, the financial responsibilities under our stewardship, which includes in part a large endowment. So how are we not like the man who stored it all up for himself, right? That's the question. It hits close to home. We're all in this together, all right? Are you with me? It's uncomfortable. I I let you know these thoughts and feelings for no other purpose than to elucidate that Jesus' challenge to be rich toward God may be straightforward, but it requires intense energy, thoughtfulness, prayer, and a baptized imagination. So I may not be able to explain to you today in your economic context exactly what it means for you to be rich toward God, but I wonder if there's another question that we can ask together as a group, which will get us to the heart of Jesus' phrase, and in fact, this story, and maybe even the Gospel of Luke as a whole. And here's the question. What's money for? What is wealth for? Now, you philosophy students will recognize this question as one of uh, telos, or goal? What is something's intention? What is a thing for? So, for example, recently uh, in Tennessee, as you know, and I, uh, my mom passed away in May, and I appreciate your prayers uh, greatly. My family, we've been doing all the things um, that you do after your, your parents pass away. We've been going through their things. It's been lots of tears, lots of laughter, lots of hard decision-making and the rest of it, but last weekend was the estate sale in Tennessee. Now, my mom loved antiques, and if my dad were here, he would probably break all the rules and shout out, you mean junk. She loved junk, Josh, but she loved antiques, and there, there were some beautiful pieces. One of these beautiful pieces sat right in the living room as he walked into their beautiful Tennessee home, and it was large. You could tell it was old. And also, no one knew what it was for. (laughs) No one knew. So me, my siblings, we're all sitting around, and as we're talking with the estate sale people, and we're trying to say, well, here's this thing. You know, this is an old tobacco leaf holder thing. I mean, you know, whatever you find in antique stores. Well, this antique we, we knew came from Aunt Veda in the early 1900s. What we did with it the past 15 years is we put our keys on it, right? That's definitely not what they did in the 19. Hundreds with this big, beautiful piece, seven or eight feet tall. What is this thing for? What do we do with it? How much, how much do we ask for at the estate sale? Wouldn't it be helpful to know what it's for to begin with? 
If you want to know what to do with something, you have to know what it's intentional, what, what, what it's intended for, right? What if the man in our story today had asked that question? Would our parable not be wildly different if the man in question had asked, what is my wealth for? So for example, when he gets, uh, listen to this, I'll read from, from um, this, the passage. Verse 16, then he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly, so lots of wealth, there it is, in his hands. And the man thought to himself, what should I do? What should I do? Now, what does he do? He stores it up. He builds bigger barns, right? This is, of course, everything Jesus doesn't want you to do. It's not about watch out for being greedy, he begins the story with. And then at the end, don't be like the guy who stored it all up. And you're thinking, what about savings? Well, that's a different question for a different day. Of course, be wise with your money. But that's not what was going on here. This man had apparently no idea what to do with wealth because he did not know what it was for. When you ask what something is for, it also helps to know, well, where did it come from? This big antique piece, it came from our, my Aunt Veda's house. And as I dug through um, lots of paperwork from, that had been stashed away in the attic, I came across uh, some, some, some clippings from an, a newspaper a long, long time ago that had still been, had been cut out and paper clipped along with some other letters from Aunt Veda. And no kidding, there it was a picture of this strange piece of furniture which had all of the, all of the pieces still put together. It was, it was a coat holder, is what it was. It was a, a coat holder, you put your hats on, your coat, whatever, your, your canes, you know, back when cool people used canes. And that's what it was for. Right out of Aunt Veda's letters in the box, it was good to know where it came from and how Aunt Veda used it. What if the man had asked this question, where did my wealth come from? Of course, it came from his hard work and his uh, farming knowledge, but also it came from the God who made heaven and earth, who caused the sun to shine and the rain to fall and the crops to grow even more abundantly this year so that the man ends up with a large crop. Where does your wealth come from. As good Americans, we know it comes from our hard work, right? But it also comes from God, who could show up tonight and wipe it all away if he wanted. There's a scary realization to this. Where did the wealth come from? It's a gift. It came from God. Here's another question. You start to ask what something is for. Well, where, where will it lead you? This is interesting because um, where it leads you is for money, it's a dead end. Because in the story, God shows up and says, you're going to die tonight. Cue all of the jokes about hearses and, uh, and U-Hauls, right? You can't take it with you when you go. One preacher tells a story of uh, these special suits. I don't even know if it's true, first, because it came from a preacher, second, because, um, second, because it's, uh, it's, it just seems far-fetched, but someone can correct me if I'm wrong, that these, these special suits they've made for people in caskets when there's an open, uh, when there's a casket viewing, and, uh, and the people perhaps did not have the kind of clothes to wear that you would, you would want for a, a gathering where you're going to be seen in this light. And so special suits were made, and the preacher says as it goes, these suits have no pockets. 
They have no pockets. Interesting point, he thought. So where will money lead? Where did it come from? Where will it lead? It's, it was, well, it's not, you're not going to have it when you die. It's interesting. The moment this man asked the question, where, what's money for? It connects him with the ultimate things, with the matters that matter to God most, like life and death, right? Death means money would no longer matter. Now, I don't know about you, but death is the last thing that I think of when I spend my money. Like when I buy my $5 cup of coffee, I'm not thinking about death in that moment. Are you? No. In fact, our culture knows this. And so if you want to be distracted from death, just enjoy watching TV and all the commercials which sell you many, many things that you don't need. It's about as far away from death as you can get. If, if, if you doubt this, try it. This week when you're watching and commercials come up, uh, try to think about death while you're watching commercials about patio furniture, death, cars, death, Viagra pills, death, whatever the commercials are. These things are no match for death. Am I right? What is money for? What is wealth for? What are riches for? It all ends at death. That's what you get when you begin to ask that question. Finally, we might consider uh, the parable further by imagining what this man would have done with the money. Okay, where did it come from in the beginning? Where is it going to lead him? He's not going to be in his pocket when he dies. And then what, what should he do with it in the now, in the present? Maybe this is what it means to be rich toward God. If we were to ask Luke the question and Jesus the question and use their, the gospel story from Luke to answer the question of what should this guy have done with his wealth, what we'd find, because there are lots of stories, as I've said in Luke, about money and what matters and God and the poor. They would have said, well, he should have used it to bless others. Don't store it up and let it go to waste. Use it to bless others. This man would then have been rich toward God. Proverbs 19:17 puts it like this, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they've done. So knowing his wealth was a gift of God, knowing that it was going to ultimately not be his in the end and realizing that it was given to him to bless as an instrument of God, to give back to God, this man would have been not the rich fool, but the wise rich man. The wise rich man. What it means to be rich toward God then, here's what we're saying, has everything to do with us asking the question, what is our wealth for? Where did it come from? Where will it leave us in the end? And what do we do with it now? What is it for? It's for God. It's for God. Puritan William Perkins put it quite practically like this. We must so use and possess the goods that we have that, this, uh, that the use and possession of them may tend to God's glory and the salvation of our souls. And just so you're not utterly bereft of practical uh, things, here, here's where he gets really practical. First, our riches must be employed to the necessary uses, the maintenance of our own good estate and condition. These are his, this is his list. Second, the good of others, especially those that are our family or kindred. Third, the relief of the poor. Fourth, the maintenance of the church of God and true religion. Fifth, the common good. That's a, that's a, that's a list for a start, right? 
being rich toward God then isn't about saving, it's, it's about not, not saving your money or overlooking church financial scandals. You don't, don't have to do that. It's not about walking around the mall of millennia with a guilty conscience all day. It is, it is instead living every day financially with God in mind. Asking the question, what is wealth for again? It's a deep realization of where it comes from, where it's taking you, and how it could be used right now for God's glory and for his kingdom. I say all of this as a challenge. Jesus challenges us, but I want to remind you that nothing we do in the Christian life comes from our own pulling ourselves up from our bootstraps, our own effort. All of this can only be motivated by the fact that God has taken care of us. If our deepest needs as human beings are taken care of, if we can see God face to face, if we can be known by our creator as we are known, then when someone gives me a dollar bill, I know what to do with it and what not to do with it, right? My deepest needs have already been met I can use this in a way that honors God in a way that is being rich toward God. This is my prayer for you and for me today. Amen.